Hey everyone, this amazing ESO Network show is brought to you by our fine sponsor, Amazon.com. Please remember to shop Amazon for all your geeky needs, no matter what time of the year it is. All you need to do is go to ESOPodcast.com slash ESO Amazon, or click on the Amazon banner on the ESO Network webpage to go to our e-store. It's the best way to shop and the best way to support this program, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Okay, that's enough of me babbling for now. Now on with your regular scheduled show. Hi, this is Mark. Congratulations. You have found this amazingly awesome show. Chances are you're listening to it right now on whether it's iTunes or Stitcher Radio or some other mobile app that allows you to stream this amazingly awesome show to your ear holes. And I can't stress how awesomely amazing this show really is. But did you know that you can also catch the latest episode of this show on the Tangibound Network? That's right. Go check out tangiboundnetwork.com. You can look them up and you can listen to it right there. It's even mobile friendly. What more could you ask for? Which means you can pull it up on your iPhone or your Android, even your Windows phone. Yeah, who has one of those? But still, point remains. You can do it. You can do it. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. Check it out. I'm Chris Farrell from the official GunnaGeek.com podcast, a proud member of the GunnaGeek network, just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready, because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, Josh Peterson and I shoot the breeze on the latest Kingsman movie and ask if this could be Hollywood's next great movie franchise. Major changes are coming to the Call of Duty and Halo iterations, and we weigh in with our thoughts if it's a good move for each. We also gush over the latest M. Night Shyamalan announcement, and is moving the Star Wars release date away from Christmas time a good move? All this and another great song from Plasma Z, and a taste of the Super BS Gamecast chatting about Assassin's Creed. It's another kaleidoscope of pop culture greatness we're bringing you today as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the PCC Multiverse. We're here every single Friday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the podcast radio network, we truly appreciate you listening. You're, we're one of the top 10 shows on the network, and we truly appreciate everything that you do for us in far, as far as you know, just listening to us and, and, and liking exactly you know, everything that we do and coming back week after week to listen to our great podcast. We're also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, MixCloud, Podcast.com, the ESO Network, the Tangibound Network, and the Gun and Geek Network as well. And if you download our shows, either the PCC Multiverse 
or the Pop Culture Cosmos Show, which you can actually listen to on Mondays at 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network. But if you download either of those shows on the Pop Culture Cosmos channel, you'll get a free bonus podcast each and every time you listen to one of our shows. Well, with me today, again, is my good friend, the man, the myth, the legend behind Humanican Media, and also a tried and true member of the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Josh Peterson. How are you, my friend? Hey, hey, I'm good, man. How's it going? Good, good. I was practicing that dramatic pause right there and just wanted to make sure that it's Josh Peterson. We need like music behind it to kind of like, like Inception music. You know, that really set the mood for what I'm about to say because my words are earth shattering on occasion. Oh, indeed they are. Indeed they are. So before we really get into the nitty gritty that is the PCC multiverse, let's check in with Josh on everything going on with Humanican Media. Uh, Let's see. We just did a new episode of the Super BS Games Cast, which we are retitling to the Super BS Games Cast. Um, Next week, we will have some morning monitors. We took a break this week just because there are some scheduling conflicts. And uh, we will also have a new What About This podcast for you next week. We're filming it or recording it on Saturday. And... um, yeah, I mean, there, there's some other things in the works, but, uh, you know, it's all about scheduling, timing, not overworking myself. So we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Eh, we don't care about that. Just go ahead. Overwork yourself, <laughs> indeed. No content, content, content. That's right. That's what it's all about. Believe me, after uh, doing YourGameSource.com for several years and now Pop Culture Cosmos, it's all about the content, indeed. I but, do have a Let's Play of Prey coming out that's actually scripted, and it's got some some funny video footage to go with it. So next okay. week, you'll be seeing that either next week or the week after. When is it? May 5th, I think? Yeah. Yes. Looking forward to it indeed. So, Although it's you know kind of different now in this version than what the original Prey was 10 years ago, but which I kind of liked when I, when I played through it, but okay, it's, we're still going with it. We're seeing if it's going to have that scare factor or if at least it's going to have that, that really good Bethesda touch to it, which, uh, which I'm hoping it will. So we're looking forward to it indeed, but for right now, we're going to talk some movies. So, and the first thing I want to ask, did you get a chance to see the trailer for Kingsman, the golden circle? I did. I watched the regular one, and then I saw that there's a red band one, which was adds pretty... One, adds one word one... and makes it a red band trailer. Yeah, and I don't understand. They're like, oh, new red band Kingsman trailer's out, and it is something like to describe a violent movie, but it really... It was the same exact thing, and they just you know said a couple bad words. It's not any different. But anyway, I'm still... I'm you know I'm really excited about because that, that was kind of like a movie that I watched and I knew it was based on a comic but I'd never read the comic and I watched it and like the moment I saw how over the top it was kind of like um, wanted I I kind of I liked it it, ha- it has like so it has a certain novelty to it that's like it's it it can be a serious movie or it cannot be a serious movie but it's just fun to watch. Yes, it is indeed, and I can uh, totally attest to that as well. But 
I'm telling you right now, it's definitely something that I'm looking forward to. But going in deeper to the Kingsman, the Golden Circle, I truly love the original. I had no idea what to expect. And I just thought the movie was incredible for, for as far as the viewing experience is concerned. I, I just truly enjoyed even the overtop acting of Samuel L. Jackson in the movie. I thought that was kind of funny. And I just thought exactly the whole, the whole concept as far as how the Kingsmen were, were, were made. And as far as, you know, uh, Trixie getting the actual, you know, becoming that, that James Bond like, secret agent that you were hoping he would turn into and it was just really just a fun ride and just the over-the-top ending indeed it was just crazy well i love that you know the heads oh sorry spoilers the heads popping off pop pop, pop, and that was just uh, you know just truly funny indeed Uh, kudos to to matthew vaughn for actually uh uh, coming up as far as with his outstanding movie and the follow-up i'm looking forward to as well how colin firth spoilers is being resurrected into the movie it looks to be something very interesting indeed could he be the bad guy you never know it was weird because when they initially announced that uh channing tatum would be in the movie they said that he was going they made it sound like he was going to be like a kingsman but it's it looks from the trailer it looks like he's a villain it looks like they're villains but could they be just maybe fighting at first and maybe you know, working with each other later on. Who knows? Who knows? Indeed, because there is one scene where he and Halle Berry are tied up, being interrogated, maybe by the Kingsman, perhaps. But that's something. Uh, I guess that's that's a lot of speculation, indeed. But what I want to ask you, when it comes to Kingsman, the Golden Circle, is it's being released in September twenty fourth, which to me is a really kind of funny time to to have a sequel from a really really successful movie. So my thought is, why couldn't this movie have come out sooner? Yeah, I don't know, man. It's nothing good really has ever come out in September, as far as I know. But I mean, maybe they just need the extra time to work on it. Maybe it's a uh, they just wanted to make sure they they steered clear of any other movie that would get in the way of its box office numbers. But yeah, it's an interesting time to release a movie. I'm, you know, it's still going to make a bunch of money. I guarantee you. It's just it's built up such a cult following, so it's not any danger of losing money. And we just spoke about it on a previous episode in regards to the timing and and lack of of movies that that have the hit potential in the month of August. That would have been a great time to go ahead on maybe the second or third week of August just to actually put that movie then because i think it would be even more available to make a a lot of money just before the kids go back to school but that that's just me not that the kids would see it mind you but they'll probably you know ask to want to see it but i just think it that probably could have been a better time to more available adult audiences could see you know the the movie as well but august august is a weird time for movies too because as far as the release dates go, they're constantly changing. You don't know for sure when something's going to come out to like a month before it comes out. That's when everything is completely solid. Indeed. So it's, it's kind of strange that that took place, but you know, they, they're the experts for the reason with the studio. So a lot of times they more than not, they make the right call on things. Last year we did say as far as July was pretty stacked and maybe that was uh, not in the best benefit of Jason Bourne or 
or Star Trek Beyond. And this year, we th- I th- we think August after the Dark Tower is like a vacant parking lot, and just somebody should have parked right on there in there with a quality film. And I thought Kingsman: The Golden Circle could have could have really been it. But we'll see what happens later this year. But September twenty fourth, definitely Josh and I are looking forward to it. If you have any thoughts on Kingsman: The Golden Circle, please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at yahoo.com. Also, Pop Culture Cosmo on Facebook and Twitter, and then also Humanican Media on Facebook and Twitter, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. So before we head over to talk a little bit more about other stuff, including Call of Duty, Halo 6, and even more stuff later on in the show, I wanted to ask your thoughts on the announcement by Disney, among all the other things, uh, as far as release dates are concerned, with the you know the the Lion King uh, and also as well your favorite movie I know Frozen Two that you're looking forward to and then <laughs> also uh, another thing that came up was the release date for Star Wars Episode Nine May twenty fourth in two thousand nineteen so I ask you they're steering away from a December release. On in 2009 with Star Wars Episode Nine, but they're not putting it on the first week of May. They're saving that for obviously one of the Marvel movies. So your thoughts on why they're going ahead to putting it near the Memorial Day weekend and not keeping it in their very successful Dece- December time slot? Because May is the beginning of the summer movie season, and I think that Disney, it's kind of smart too. If you think about it. Disney, just wants to own the entire block of summer movies. So it, it, it makes sense. And I know like a lot of people, it, it'll be interesting too to see if it gets more people watching it than had it been released in December. But I personally, I'm not a huge fan of the December release dates. It's just because it, it's such a busy time for me personally. But um, I, I would much rather see like a Star Wars movie in the summer. And I, It I, hasn't stopped the Star Wars movies though. The Force Awakens over $2 billion. Rogue One over one billion, so it doesn't really stop people from going to see those movies. It may from others, maybe, but because we know that that if you want to be eligible for the award season, you have to be out before Christmas or on Christmas. So I know a lot of films have to be released before then. But right, do we know if anything's being put in that December spot though? That I'd have to check into, and I can do that while uh, we're on the break here. But it's just kind of fascinating that that they're steering away from that, and they're actually almost conflicting with their own movie because earlier that period of time, I believe there's going to be a Marvel movie. Is that correct? Yeah, but also remember the both of the – like. Uh, what was the Force Awakens and this Star Wars coming out was actually they were both actually supposed originally slated to be released in May and then they got their release dates pushed back so we it, this might not even come out in May it might just be December we this might we could just be speculating for all we know but yeah I mean it it would be weird because they would kind of be stepping on the toes of other movies I guess but you know Disney obviously has a plan so I don't really. You know, what it is at this moment, we might not know. Well, let me tell you right now, as uh, according to Box Office Mojo, in December of 2019, as of right now, untitled Disney Fairy Tale number two is what they have listed for 1220 uh, of that year. 
just before, just after He-Man, Masters of the Universe movie, which you know I know Rob McCallum and uh, anybody from that era who enjoyed He-Man, uh, like I I did and like he did, obviously uh, will be able to uh, enjoy as well. But Frozen Two comes out a month prior, uh, right during the Thanksgiving holiday season, like I believe the last Frozen did. So. Uh, Disney's got something up their sleeve around Christmas time then, but it's not going to be Star Wars. So that, that to me is a little bit surprising. Uh, what are your thoughts out there on that? Should, should they keep Star Wars in that Christmas time slot? Should they keep them around the end of the year as far as because they've had so much success in the past couple of years with it? Tell us your thoughts, pop culture cosmos and yahoo.com. And then also as well, Humanican Media. Pop Culture Cosmos, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter. Well, we've got a great show lined up for you. Coming up, we're going to be talking, like I said, about Call of Duty. We're going to be also talking some some Halo 6 and a lot more as far as the movies are concerned later on in the show. But first, we've got a great song again from our good friend, DJ Plasma Z. This is Mango, and this is the PCC Multiverse.
That's Mango from Plasma Z. Check out all of his great songs today on SoundCloud. This is Travis from Ghost Coasters, and you're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos Podcast. Hey everyone, if you're in the Southern California area and are looking for the best way to improve your home, look no further than adding some always green synthetic grass today. Whether it's creating that awesome backyard that's kid and pet friendly, or that punting green to work on your golf game, Always Green provides installation and landscaping with only American-made products, such as their famous synthetic turf with advanced drainage technology and backed by a 15-year warranty that will have your yard looking great for a very long time. Always Green also installs retaining walls, custom lighting and driveways, and the most beautiful stone walkways. So if you live in the Southern California area, what are you waiting for? Financing is also available, so call for a free estimate today. 714-614-7814. That's 714-614-7814. Or stop by their store at 16772 Wanda Circle in Huntington Beach. And get your home looking great with always green synthetic turf and putting greens. A proud sponsor of Pop Culture Cosmos. Humanican Media, and the PCC Multiverse channels. And we're back with the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. I'm here along with my good friend, the man, the myth, the legend, behind Humanican Media, it's Josh Peterson. And I just wanted to make sure everybody gets a chance out there that knows that we're, we're on Friday, every uh, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network. But we've also got a great show on top of that that is the number one show currently on the Podcast Radio Network. So check it out. It's the Pop Culture Cosmos Show every Monday night, 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network. And then don't forget, you can always download our shows on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Mixcloud, Podcast.com, the ESO Network, the Tangibound Network, and the Gunna Geek Networks as well. And you're also going to get bonus episodes of podcasts from the Humanican Media at Game Source and uh, Rob McCallum Films and also as well the the Pop Culture Cosmos umbrella on top of every show that we put out there. And then also as well uh, in Mixcloud coming up the next couple of weeks, I'm going to put some Humanican Media podcasts up there as well. So check that out indeed. So I want to ask you a question, Mr. Gaming Guru, I should say, indeed, because of your work with the Super BS Gamescast that is going to be, actually, we're going to play a clip of it here in a little bit, but also as well, we're going to talk about things going on in the video gaming world. And primarily, I want to talk to you about first the big reveal for Call of Duty World War II. I know you had speculated earlier, uh, you know, on an earlier podcast a little bit about it, and I know you do not have a great affinity for it as far as it's concerned, but I know that, that going back to World War II, you thought, you thought was a, a wise decision by Activision, seeing how EA and Battlefield 1 is doing as far as their success from going back to a, from a modern uh, perspective, so to speak. So, so I want to know your thoughts has the big reveal and, and the, the trailer that came out and, and all the emphasis that you're doing on uh, World War II now, if you got a chance to check it out, everyone out there looks uh, very similar to the opening of 
uh, Saving Private Ryan. What are your thoughts on Call of Duty World War II? Is it something that may now kickstart some interest in regards to actually trying out again the Call of Duty product? Loki, I'm actually really kind of wanting to play it now. So if that answers your question, that um, does. But I, but why? What 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 appealed to you? What because the trailer to me, I'm going to be honest with you, the trailer to me just seemed like the same Call of Duty type cinematics except within the confines of the World War II setting. So to me, it didn't seem very much different. But obviously to you, it did, because it, it might have scratched a niche you didn't know you had as far as uh, the World War II is concerned. Well, so. I don't really think it's... Maybe it, it, it did scratch an itch, but not like the not like the kind that someone who perpetually plays Call of Duty might get. To me, it scratched... The, like It made me nostalgic, because when I first... Like kind of when when I first got my Xbox 360, I played Call of Duty 2 just relentlessly. Like I absolutely loved that game, and I mean this game could be like that, or it could be completely different. Call of Duty 3, not wasn't a huge fan of, but this game actually, you know, they're going back to their roots, so they're taking what they've learned and putting it back into something that they've kind of played around with already. So it it has the potential to be really good, and at the same time, it has you know it has it it can bring in a broad because i know i'm not the only person who is who got burnt out of call of duty i think it has the potential now to bring back people who have left the franchise and also uh keep keep that fan base that it's had so it's just it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out but did you read uh polygon published this article about uh divert having diverse characters in call of duty and i just I read it and it's, you know, I, I think that there's a point where like these video game journalists kind of need to pick and choose their, their battles a little better just because it's a, you know, it's called duty. It's not really a game that people expect diversity from. I mean, I know the lot, they didn't, they haven't done such a great job of it before, but you know, I, I don't know where I'm going with this, but the article is just kind of like a, one of those articles that looked like it was trying to bait people into a fight, but I'm, Overall, I you know I wasn't displeased with the trailer. I I liked it. I mean, I, I don't know if I liked it, but I'm looking forward to giving it a try once more. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on it? I can tell already that maybe there was there was some attention as far as trying to push some buttons, but also identify some some things that as far as the Call of Duty universe that they really have have not had, or maybe pointing some things out that yeah, most people don't really recognize or don't really care they just want to go in guns a blazing with the call of duty as far as format but maybe there's reasons why the call of duty success has waned just even a little bit over the course of the past few years and they're taking this drastic change this this decision to go into such a different direction uh to the world war ii from where they were at previously previously in fact as late as last year you know they were in space last year so now all of a sudden you're going back to world war ii why is that so they're they're trying all the stops and and maybe creating a more diverse atmosphere is the answer to to try and appeal to a wider audience and if it's obvious and it's blatant well then you know it is what it is but uh, wait, 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 wait. you say wider or whiter audience wide <laughs> wider audience yeah no i mean i i get that and i get the need for diversity i i just like you know, with called especially the time period that this takes place in, it wasn't really a great era as far as like the civil rights movement goes. So, I mean, 
if you really, if they really wanted to get diverse and put, you know, a, a true, like, uh, represent each of these people well it just it seems like it's kind of a boiling pot for controversy so i kind of understand why they wouldn't want to go there if that makes sense well as long as they're not trying to shoehorn it and make it make it unappealing to all audiences instead of trying to do the right thing and trying to do something admirable and and show showcasing uh all the different sides and all the different facets of war which I'm hoping that they will try to do at least they're claiming at least with the article in question that the way I was interpreting it is that they're trying to, to show the human emotion and from, from many different sides. So I'm hoping that they will do that. If they are trying to show diversity, uh, then more power to them. But as long as they do it in a, in an acceptable fashion that audiences will appreciate and not just try to do it because they feel like they're they're forced to and or they're trying to force it onto people that's not the way to go they want to when you make something diverse or when you make something you know approachable to all audiences that's what you need to do and create it the right way and go about it the right fashion not just try to shoehorn in something just because you think it fits so I'm, I'm hoping that they'll make the right decisions and if they include diversity within the call of duty framework of world war ii I have no problems with that. I just want to make sure it's something that that you know the the there will be no backlash of, of of major proportions because with the Call of Duty franchise, even something as simple as pushing X to pay your respects is was you know frowned upon, and that was really uh, just harebrained indeed. So I want to make sure that they they when they make Call of Duty you know going. Uh, World War II going out there, they want to make sure that that's something that's representative of the actual war itself. Because if they're trying to recreate World War II and create the emotions and give players that experience that is World War II, whether it's for good or for bad or for, you know, show the ugly, show the show the horrors of, of war and what, what it can do, especially at that time, then then that's fine. You know, and how you how you make it diverse is it's fine as long as you don't try to just flaunt in front of everybody and say and, and just do it be, just because you're you're trying to meet meet a quota or meet something of there if that's something that's that's not that's done in the spirit of it and that's done that that's done with a with a true passion and with a true appreciation for everyone and everything in regards to fighting in world war ii so that's that's what i'm I think anyway. So I just wanted to be, if you're going to be open and diverse, that's awesome. And I truly applaud you doing, but don't do it because you feel like you have to do it because you want to and, and feel like you should. Yeah. That's what I, said. That's what, that's I, mean, what I think. So, yeah. I mean, cause what I took away from the article was that they were getting mad that cause call of duty was trying to be diverse, but I guess the article was saying, or the writer was saying that they weren't trying to be, they weren't diverse enough. I don't, I mean, I might've taken something different from that, but uh, yeah, I mean, the- I, I mean, they have been uh, accused in the past of not being diverse enough, and I can see that from, you know, you if you could just paint by the numbers on this one, you can see in previous editions and previous iterations that they have not met the, you know, it's, it's modern warfare, and then then you go into a little bit future warfare and whatnot, and it's still a lot of their episodes, a lot of their iterations just feel a predominantly uh, white. It does not feel diverse at all. I can say that firsthand. So if they are trying to go in that direction, I hope they do, and I hope they do it naturally. I hope it comes off organically, and I hope it comes off that 
players don't even realize how diverse it is and that they just enjoy the game for what it is. No, I, I agree. You could, couldn't have said it better myself. There you go. And indeed as well. And if you have any thoughts on Call of Duty World War II, whether it's the diversity issue or just the game itself, let us know at popculturecosmos at yahoo.com or also as well, popculturecosmos, game source, and humanica media on Facebook and Twitter as well. But before we head to a break, I want to talk to you about one last thing. Halo 6, some good news. Uh, the word leaked out that Halo 6, when and if it should arrive, whether it's sooner or later, what have you, that it will just be a focus on Master Chief and his struggles, and a narrative will be put centrally through Master Chief and what you're controlling. So what are your thoughts on that after the previous uh, Halo iteration not getting the love that it should because of, of Locke and and uh, the conflict that was there and, and the, the tension taken away from, from Master Chief and whatnot. What are your thoughts on that? Is it a good move by, by Microsoft to be heading in that direction in 343 Studios, or do you think that, that they should go into a more open-ended route with some, some different character variation that you're able to control? Okay, so I, I read the article, I read the story, I read uh, Phil Spencer's comments in the uh, Kiki Wolfkill, I think is her name, that runs 343 now. Um, I, I'm, I'm confused because if what they took away from the criticism of Halo was the fact that they introduced new characters like Locke and Buck, or Buck was an ODST, but if that's what they took away from the whole thing is that these there are too many characters, they, they took away the wrong thing because I don't think a lot of fans had a problem with the fact that they were uh, introducing new characters, I think they had a problem oh. with the way the story was going. And, and that they were controlling another character. I, I don't mind that Locke was in it. I don't mind that Buck was in it. Uh, one of my my favorite Halo character is is a tie between Master Chief and and uh, Sergeant Johnson. You know, yeah. that, that he, he rocked. I'm sorry, you know, one of the... Oh, dude, he's awesome. Yeah, for one sure. of the uh, most uh, saddest parts in, in my game playing was when, you know, spoilers, in, in uh, Halo 2, I believe, he, he... Or is it Halo 3? It's Halo 3. Did you ever Halo, watch... Yes, when, he pat, when he got killed by the yeah. Arbiter. Did you ever play through Legendary on uh, the first Halo and you go after the credits and you see the ending of Sergeant Johnson... Uh, patting one of the elites on the back and going, well, this is it, <laughs> right when the planet's about to explode. Yeah, yeah, I, I've <laughs> seen that indeed. It's very funny. He's just a great character, uh, and I just truly appreciated everything. And it, he's got a great – one of the Halo novels with him, um, oh, Harvest. Contact Harvest, yeah. Contact Har- his, that, that is probably the best of the Halos novels that I have read personally. So, uh, and it, But he's not a playable character within the confines of the Halo narrative that you play through Halo 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. That's what's so great about it is that he comes in, provides what he needs to provide to to flesh out the story even more. Locke would have been great if he did the same thing, but I know a lot of people gave flack to 343 Studios for for actually controlling and, and seeing it from the perspective of Locke as far as for a good portion of the game instead of focusing entirely like you have like the previous halo iterations from a master chief perspective. So your thoughts as far as in that direction, going halo six, just back to what it was previously, as far as 
the sole focus is on Master Chief and everybody else as far as supporting characters being just that, supporting characters. See, I didn't mind it. Like, I didn't mind playing as Locke and having Buck on my squad. And, like, I that, that part honestly didn't bother me. And it wasn't even, like, a lack of Master Chief that bothered me. It was the story that got me. Like, the, the idea of Cortana. Like, I just don't like where they went with it. But as far as, like, controlling other characters go, I, I think they... They added enough into it to like, uh, you know, they. Ba- I thought they balanced it out pretty well, and I liked knowing the backstory of all these characters, knowing why they were chasing the Master Chief, what the Master Chief's motivations were, his team, uh, you know, is having his old team back in this. So now, if they're going back to a Master Chief centric game, which is great, good for them. I just hope that they do it without you know, messing up what they've already done as far as, uh, you know, character development and explaining why these characters are in this, uh, in this universe, what got them involved. Like, don't act like what they did in Halo 5 never existed. I'm, I'm, I'm all for a Master Chief-centric Halo 6, and I hope that the story makes up for the crap story we got in Halo 5, but I just want it to be handled natu- organically, I guess, is what I'm getting at. I do as well, and I hope the best as far as for Halo Six because I'd love to have that love for the the thrill of of Master Chief uh, playing as Master Chief once again. I'd love to just be able to go ahead and and seek out another adventure with with Master Chief one more time. It would be truly awesome indeed. What are your thoughts on Halo Six? Let us know. Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Sourcing, Manicum Media on Facebook or Twitter or Pop Culture Cosmos at yahoo.com well we like i said we've got the super bs games cast coming up right after the break get a little taste of that and then we'll close out the show with some thoughts on a couple movies that one which we we do like that knowing going in that that's good really cool news and then one which really has well let's say has chapped josh's well you fill in the blank when we come back with the PCC Multiverse. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. Hey everyone, venture into the pop culture cosmos today, where you'll hear our conversations on different topics within the world of movies, TV, video games, comic books, technology, board gaming, and more. You'll also get a taste of some of our other shows within the cosmos as well. So come on and join us each week as we delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. Every Monday night. 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network. The guys from Super BS Gamescast are talking some Assassin's Creed on their latest episode.
but the unfortunate thing is that it's still going to be Assassin's Creed Unity. Yeah. <laughs> this is true. Too many you can, towers. You so. can get that on sale for $15 right now. You can up the res, but you can't... <laughs> Not even on sale though. You can go to Target. You can get like all the current generation Assassin's Creed games for like ten, fifteen bucks. Ubisoft can pay me to get those, <laughs> and then I'll, I'll play them. Uh, Assassin's Creed Unity is pretty cool, guys. There's faces that don't go onto character models. There's weird skeleton beans. I don't know if you guys saw the videos of that, but yes. yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know what they should do instead is is take a break from Assassin's Creed. Which is run its course and go back to Prince of Persia. That'd be a lot Prince of people have been talking about that. I I would like them just to finish Assassin's Creed though. I don't want them just to. Stop is there some them. type of story? There, I want them to say like, "Hey, this is how." Desmond the, died. The producer, the guy, the developers have said there's an end in sight, and then other people said there's not. But I just want them to. End. Yeah, they, they had the end in sight on Assassin's Creed like, Three. They give stopped Desmond's story. Give me yeah. a game called Assassin's Creed: The End, and then I will play it, and then uh, I will like I have. See, it probably won't be because it'll be like oh. Oh, you thought it was this like ancient like meta spiritual crisis between Templars and stuff, but no, it's actually aliens. And then now it's like this and like. Did you just, did you just guess that? Have you ever played them? I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. What I played about. two. And, uh... I played. I played one and two. Okay. I thought one was amazing, I and then two. I thought two was two was a great game. I didn't like the developments, or I I start I started to sort of enjoy the developments, and then I thought. This sounds like they're gonna try and like make too much out of this. Because yeah. um, I liked it when it felt almost like. I mean, it's not like they had two sequels to it. Yeah, no, I liked. They didn't have I kind of. <laughs> there is just something so mysterious about Assassin's Creed One, um, and it seemed like it was gonna have this sort of like. Kind of more like Da Vinci Code, maybe uh, like yeah. okay, weird, weird like maybe like based in some type of like. Uh, you know, like Jewish or Christian mysticism, like some weird, maybe Kabbalah or something like that. Kind of like that game, uh, El Shaddai, Ascension of the oh, Metatron. That's cool, okay. cool looking. Like, I like that kind of stuff um, where it just kind of deals with like weird, like myths and legends and like weird, like weird mystic things. But then it was like, it started getting, and then so they kind of hinted at the Templars, like the secrets they've been hiding or whatever. Like, it just was kind of interesting. Um, and then. It's just like, oh, they're going to overcomplicate this. They're going to make this bad. It's like, that that was the thing. I, I started, I was really intrigued by Assassin's Creed 2 at first. And then I thought, I thought, oh, this is getting really dumb. Catch the Super BS Gamescast today on all available Humanican Media outlets. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Hey, Uncle Rob, listen, I'm going to be in Ontario the first few weeks of November, and I'm starting another documentary. I'm actually going to see if I can track down my mom. Oh, good luck on that one. This is my mom, Terry Lee Parker. And this is the last image we have of her, because on the night of October 27th, 1990, she vanished, and no one has seen her since. Being a mother, the worst thing always goes through your mind first. You know, I've even Googled her name, and the only Terry Lee Parker that ever come up on a hit was her some girl out in B.C. I never believed the words she said. She could tell me anything, I wouldn't believe it. So basically, the less we saw of her, the better it was. Would I chase her? No, I would not chase her. If I don't find anything, then I don't find anything, but at least I know I tried to do it. You don't know the whole story. I, I have no idea why she just 
up and ran. A lot of kids who don't know their biological parents really feel they need to find out where they came from. I always wish I knew what happened to her because she, she was important to me. I really don't think she wants to be found. People can have their names changed for a simple fee. It was almost like she had taken on this other identity. This isn't going to be figured out in a month. It might not be figured out in a year. She was a con artist. She could be living in Ontario. She could be living out west. She could be in jail. Somebody has to know where she is and what happened to her. Searching for the truth can be scary. You might not like what you find. Thinking about it now, like, it hurts. As more time passes, you know, you just have to think, maybe she isn't with us anymore. If you find her and you have an opportunity to say something, what's the first thing going to come out of your mouth? Hi, Lee. I think you're my mom. Who is this? That's the award-winning documentary, Missing Mom, available today on Vimeo. And we're back to close out the show right here on PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glasser from the Pop Culture Cosmos. Once again, we truly appreciate you listening. Thanks so much for being part of the PCC Multiverse. We just are truly indebted to you indeed. If you get a chance, check us out on our Monday show at 10.30 Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network. We're also available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Mixcloud, Podcast.com, the ESO Network, the Tangibound Network, and the Gun and Geek Network as well. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source, and I'm here again to close out the show with my good friend, the man, the myth, the legend behind Humanica Media. It's Josh Peterson. And Josh, I want to ask you real quick, before we head on out to talk about a couple of movies, ideas that, that one we're, we're pretty high on and one we're not so high on, what's going on with Humanica Media? Uh, we have a brand new Super BS Games cast coming at you, I want to say tomorrow, if I can get it all uh, edited and stuff. Uh, and we'll have a new episode of What About This, followed next week with uh, you know some more Morning Monitor episodes, uh, which are now available on iTunes and other sources. I have a list somewhere that I'll find. Uh, yeah, and then there's some more stuff, exciting stuff coming, hopefully. There's uh, some new Ghost Toasters in the works, so... You know, lots of good stuff on the horizon, but it's, uh, you know, I, I can't promise any release dates yet. That's okay. We just like the fact that you're bringing a lot of stuff out there. And then, you know, you can always catch it, Humanican Media on YouTube, Humanican Media on Facebook, and then also Pop Culture Cosmos as well. So before we head on out, I'm going to talk to you about a couple of films that, that I know that just got announced. <laughs> One that I know you're still kind of PO'd at, I, I tell you right now, to this day. Uh, all day long, I've been I've been hearing and seeing comments from, from Josh and from people going back and forth in regards to what Josh is upset about. But first, the good news, and that is officially announced. It was obviously heavily rumored and also alluded to, if you watch the, the latest hit movie from M. Night Shyamalan, uh, that is... Uh, split. So if you got a chance to see split either in the theaters or, you know, it's just out on video, a really, really good movie, really, really creative ending. And it really tied in to one of his previous films, which Josh hasn't seen yet. Shame on him. Unbreakable. And, and it it alluded to the fact that there was possibly going to be another movie on the way. Spoilers. But, um, 
That being said, it looks like, and it was announced on Twitter by M. Night Shyamalan, the director himself, that it's going to be a, a new movie coming out that's going to tie in all both those films and make it a trilogy, so to speak, with, of course, uh, Samuel L. Jackson playing the role that he played in the movie Unbreakable, and that is Mr. Glass. And along with uh, uh, James McAvoy and also as well Bruce Willis also joining in for a mono-e-mono type format where where James McAvoy looks like, it, according to what he was might have alluded to, might be aligning himself up with Mr. Glass against Bruce Willis's character. So with all that being said, what are your thoughts on a possible Mr. Glass tying up the whole Unbreakable trilogy? And does this get you excited again as far as M. Night Shyamalan's work as a whole? I don't know. Like, I... It's if anything, like the news has made me want to go out and watch Unbreakable. I, I haven't seen it. I know I need to. Uh, it, it, actually, it's always been on my to watch list, but I've never got around to actually watching it. Uh, but yeah, it's I don't know, like how I feel about that because M Night M Night Shyamalan is uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's how you say his name, right? It's like uh, Josh Delamalamalo, the guy from guy from Transformers. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know like how he would fare in the realm of sequel. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just hard, hard name, hard names to pronounce. I don't know something about the H's. I don't. Um, but yeah, like the, there's there's it's a um, I don't know how I feel about sequels. Like I don't see M Night Shyamalan doing something as far as sequels go that could be feel gritty like his style uh, it, it'll it'll be an interesting experiment because he's never done one before i guess is, is is what i'm trying to say but um well yeah. mr glass at this point in time in the realm of it uh, was captured you know at the uh, spoilers again at the end of unbreakable he, you know we, i'm sure that you probably know by now that the, he is someone that uh, I should say, you know, is, is incarcerated, incarcerated in some type, whether he's put in a sanitarium, whether he's jailed, whatnot. They said he was going, like, he plays a major role. Like, he he knows something about, uh, what's his name, James McAvoy's character yes. in Split. Like, he knows what he is or what they both are or something. And James McAvoy, spoilers again, alludes to the fact that he may be al- aligning himself with Mr. Glass or someone of that nature. It's, they're aligning with someone. Don't allude to who, but I uh, mean, they allude to possibly who, but they don't specifically tell you, you know, 100%. But I think it's alluding to the fact that, that those two will be getting together and to go against uh, Bruce Willis's character in a superhero type format which still will be in the within the grounds of a realistic, uh, but plot uh, twist. Yeah, plot twist. Got to have a plot twist. And M the Night plot Shyamalan. twist is going to be this: they need to find out who James McAvoy's killed. They need to talk to dead people, so they're going to recruit Haley Joel Osment to uh, come in and take care of business. Something like that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that would be going way back on the way back machine. But uh, I just, I'm looking forward to it because uh, these are two of his best movies uh, because he had a long drought of, of movies that really did not hit the number for me. And I know it didn't hit the number for a lot of audiences. So I think he started picking up again with The Village uh, and it started picking up again indeed. Uh, and I just thought, 
think he's back on a high where he's creating quality movies that are hit movies indeed. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, what are your thoughts out there on a possible Mr. Glass movie and Samuel L. Jackson returning to the role? Because he, you know, in that type of role, he was so good. If you've seen Unbreakable, which you should, and I hope you will, Mr. Josh Peterson. But what are your thoughts out there? Let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, Humanican Media, PopCultureCosmos, and GameSource on Facebook and Twitter. And while you're there, please like us and follow us so you get the latest pop culture news each and every day indeed. So before we head on out, I wanted to talk about one last film. <laughs> We've been uh, kind of chuckling through this episode indeed because it's kind of funny things popping up with uh, and all that. But Josh has been on edge all day for a reason, and that's because a reimagining of a movie that he mentioned a few episodes ago when we were talking about our favorite films of all time. Josh, what place did The Great Outdoors come in for you? Oh, it was number one, and now it's going to be number one on my crap list. Yes, because The Great Outdoors was announced as far as in production or in development, I should say, in development with Kevin Hart taking over the role of John Kennedy, uh, John Candy, perhaps, as far as the lead role in that film. And and uh, it looks like something that indeed that that I don't know. Kevin Hart is a brilliant, uh, brilliant comedian doing his own stuff. Let's get that out of the way. He's just truly great at what he does. And truly funny, but I, I don't know if this to me it's not going to make much of a difference because I think he's like I said, this is going to be him acting goofy out the entire way. So, but I because I don't have a love for the great outdoors that you did, but for someone who does have an affinity for the movie, obviously because it's your number one favorite of all time, I'm gonna probably regret saying this, but what are your thoughts on a reimagining of the great outdoors? It's blasphemy. This, it, it, to me, it's worse than mixing blue cheese with ranch dressing. You can't. <laughs> the, <laughs> the movie is to me. I loved it. It's perfect. It's it's the perfect movie. It's sacred cinema to me because it just it had it. It represented the time period. It had the you know it had the solid actors, and it was you know it's just a fun movie to watch. And you don't. It's one of those movies that it doesn't exist anymore. You don't see movies like it. And my big concern here is it has nothing to do with Kevin Hart. Like I'm sure, you know, he'll play the same character he always plays, but it's the idea that they're going to change it so much. And like, why does this movie need to be remade? What is, what's the point of this? And, you know, I'm afraid they're going to turn just, you know, they're going to go for cheap blast and just turn it into like a raunchy sex com, like Baywatch or chips, or, you know, you can even go as far to say like Starsky and Hutch or something. And, uh, it just it irks me so bad because it's one of those movies that just does not need to be touched. It doesn't need to be remade. It's it's perfect the way it is, and it's it's so it's such an off movie that not a lot of people know about. So what made them go back and say, "Hey, we should make uh, redo the Great Outdoors"? Because it wasn't gonna... a, it wasn't a big box office hit to my no, to my it memory. Made, it made forty one million dollars uh, on its opening weekend. But how are they going? Like that movie has so many classic scenes. How are they going to remake them? Like the, seeing John Candy, like a large man doing that water ski sequence in the is kind of in the middle of the movie. How are they going to remake that? Like Kevin Hart is not funny enough to pull off 
a physical comedy gag like that to me. Uh, and it, it's just, I don't understand it. And I'm, I'm seeing it like, this is going to be the third time that they've murdered John Candy because remember the remake of uncle buck that was on TV tank. They canceled it after six episodes. And I just, I feel like they're just taking one of my favorite movies or taking my favorite movie and just tainting it. I don't, I don't know. Like, and it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with them. Like, well, it's total combined all time. It made it was forty three million dollars. So yeah, actually, yeah. It's, it's not exactly like a huge box office success. I guess it, it's probably made a ton of money on on repeats and video and DVD. But I don't even see it on TV anymore. But I know during the nineties, it may have been something that was heavily watched on VHS and 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 DVD. I've just what what concerns me is that is this really something that that people want to go to as far as a does it a, need to be made like yeah does it really and to me also like what was important to me about that movie was the location because it was filmed at a place that my family actually owns a cabin up there around that lake where it was filmed so like I I go there I watch it and I'm like oh hey I've been there I know this place I know this place so that's another thing to me why I like the movie so much is the location so. And I don't think they'll, they probably won't use that location again. We'll have to wait and see, but it's just, it's not something that needs to be made, not something that has enough popularity to be remade. So I don't, I want to know why are they remaking it? I'd, I'd have to ask the same question as well, because it's just, I don't have the passion for the movie that you did, but this one is just for me. Actually, it's not much of a surprise because they're going to remake everything. Uh, there, there's not going to be there, there's not that many original movies. There's not that many original ideas out there that they people want to go ahead and put a bankroll. These studios want to put a bankroll behind. It, it's just right now that they think is this is a safer alternative that they think they're going to get their investment back on and maybe even a little bit more, but. And, and and Kevin Kevin Hart is a very very hot individual right now as far as what he is as a movie star and and I understand that he, you know he's got Jumanji on the way he's he just did uh, you know Central Intelligence he, his his stand up is obviously he's one of the premier stand up artists that are right now going on so I I get that I get what he is as far as uh, from a commercial standpoint but I. To me, it's just it comes off as just another reimagining and remake, and very few of them hit with me. And the problem is, very few of them hit with audience as well. Yeah, and also, if you think of it, like I'm, I'm sure you saw the movie, right? The great, you saw the original. But then, but then again, he just he's just finished filming Jumanji, which doesn't make it any easier as well. He's he's used to doing just remakes, so if that if he starts yeah. getting pigeonholed into that, it's just... I know, it's, it's going to put a nail in his career coffin, but another thing that bothers me about this is the fact that like, just the, the way the characters in The Great Outdoors played the parts, like, you're just, you're, there's no acting, you won't find actors like that anymore. You won't find actors like John Candy or even, uh, you know, the way Dan Aykroyd plays Roman in the movie, like, it's just it's one of those things you're not going to get that, like that emotion, that family oriented man that just want, that wants to take his kids out and have a good time. You, you don't, you won't have that, especially with Kevin Hart's style comedy. It's so like spontaneous and rambunctious. Like it's just, I don't see it working very well, depending on who he's playing, I guess. Yes, indeed. I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. I just, I just don't have the passion for the movie you did, but I still see 
the fact that this probably isn't going to be a good idea. But then again, like I said, people, studios are making, remaking all these films and, and original ideas are just going by the wayside. So it's, it's tough sledding again if The Great Outdoors is going to be a movie that's really going to be targeted for, for box office success. So while Josh is crying off, off mic, I just want to make sure everybody knows if you have your thoughts on The Great Outdoors, as we know Josh has, Please let us know, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com, and also Humanican Media, Pop Culture Cosmos, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter. So, any last thoughts before we head on out? Next week, next week's a good move, uh, week for uh, video games and movies, right? We got Prey and we got King Arthur coming out. So, at, no, no, Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. So, I mean, it kind of kicks off the summer box office season. So, we'll have. Well, plenty of cool stuff to talk about in the coming days. But Guardians of the Galaxy does come out this weekend internationally, so I am keeping, and also Pop Culture Cosmos is keeping a keen eye on it because I think one of the things that we're going to talk about on the Monday show is how is it faring overseas, the critical reception, which we'll talk about on Monday, overall, and is that going to be a precursor for how successful it will be now that it's on a bigger stage being the the Monday, excuse me, the May Tentpole movie for Marvel Studios. So we're definitely going to be talking about that indeed on our Monday show. Catch that 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network, the Pop Culture Cosmos Show, or any one of our nine other downloadable outlets. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day here in paradise, here in the PCC multiverse. We thank you for listening, and here's hoping you have yourself a great day. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at ESONetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome in to the Great Debate! Wow, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That was enthusiastic. That was, I I, I think you're really excited to be going to Chicago here. That was feigned enthusiasm. That that, That was all performance. There was no passion in that introduction. Oh, come on now. The real debate is whether that was You actually hear a tape recorder clicking before that that (laughs) intro there. That was canned? That was was play, record, pause, play. Uh Uh-huh. (laughs) <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, well, let's talk about today's debate. So we're going to be talking about the best movie trilogy, and we've got some good ones on tap today. We're going to be talking Indiana Jones versus Back to the Future, Aliens taking on Die Hard, and Spider-Man taking on Christopher Nolan's Batman. 
our debatees for the day, our special guest all the way from up north in Canada, Mike the Greek. Thank you, thank you. It is on. This is going to be a debate for the ages. Oh my! And goodness. then, of course, on the other side of the ring, wearing the camouflage shorts and black t-shirt, Rob. Me. Woo! Yeah! I don't need a box of Timbits during my segment to sound like a pro. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> it's fuel. It's fuel. It's now, Canadian no, we should, fuel. We should throw this out there that, yeah, some of these franchises we're talking about have fourth and fifth installments, but we're going to try to... I mean, we can include them and stuff, but these are like, you know, the, the trilogies... You know, at the heart of it, it was like, well, what trilogy is better, like India or Back to the Future? Now, so course. there's a suspension of disbelief here. In <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Because, I mean, practice. there's a few that we're leaving out. Of course, we're not talking Star Wars, which has, yeah. you know, two trilogies <laughs> you could talk about. And we're not talking Bond, which has like 23 films, right? right yeah. So, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're trying to get a little picky and we're trying to, we're trying to pick like the, the three, uh, three first ones, I would say. Absolutely. So, All right. Okay. Fair enough. All right, let's get to it, gentlemen. Everybody stretch it out. That's right. Get your hammies all loose. We're good to go. Crack your neck, maybe your knuckles. It's on. Take a deep breath. Here we go. (laughs) Round one. Indiana Jones taking on Back to the Future. Of course, our special guest goes first. Mike the Greek, take it away. Oh, I mean, in terms of just creating... uh, this multi-layered universe of sci-fi action adventure um something that appealed to all ages back to the future show really takes it home i mean there it, it just it, there's this this cultural universe that that still flickers today like people know back to the future like they know those classic lines those classic sequences it's just timeless and wow what a what a tight trilogy not marred by unnecessary sequels after back to future 3 it's just tight all right fair enough and here we go rob take it away now unfortunately mike the greek everything that you just said could be applied to the indiana jones trilogy you know, True. quotable lines, memorable sequences, iconography. But the one thing that you're forgetting is the Back to the Future trilogy probably wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the fame that Spielberg got and the notoriety that he got for being able to set up an independent franchise with Indiana Jones. He was able to do Raiders and Temple of Doom before Back to the Future was even off the ground. Back to the Future was a script that nobody believed in whatsoever except for uh, Bob Gale and Zemeckis, of course, who didn't have much going for them beforehand, and they were trying to get that made. I think uh, before was it was it True Romance or Romancing the Stone or something like that. Uh, they didn't have much going on for them until Spielberg came along and did that. And the only way Spielberg was able to get that made is because of the the love that Indy had going on. I mean, you want to talk about iconography and how to set up a trilogy? It's Indiana Jones. Now, sure, you can argue that the fourth Indy didn't need to exist, but the fact was there was enough fan demand for it to exist. And if there was enough fan demand and dollars out there, believe me, there would have been another Back to the Future movie. Um, you want to talk about films in, in, in the trilogy? You say it's solid? Well, I'm going to have to kind of call uh, call Negative Ghost Rider on that one because the second one is so... Negative fl- Ghost Rider? You heard me. The, uh, the second one is All so right. flawed in its own logic that it gets caught up in its own time continuum that it... Uh, 
that it, that it sacrifices, you know, the, the the quality motivations for the whole thing. Doc Brown on a chalkboard points out that how you can't go forward once you've altered things in the past. Yet old Biff, when he drops the book off in 1955, goes forward to give Doc and Marty, who are in the future, the time machine. So it, it you know, the, the whole story hinges on that crux. Because they can't go forward and stop, you know, Biff, old Biff from taking the book, and yet they have to go with it because they don't know how to write out of hole. It's also a trilogy that, you know, all the main characters from the first film didn't even want to be in the second or third one. And when you get to the third film, a boring, boring Wild West showdown that's shown every Sunday on TBS, you know, the, the characters that people remember most from the first one are relegated to cameo appearances with bad Irish accents. All right, Mike the Greek, counterpoint and go. Okay, first of all, yeah, I was waiting for you to mention Crystal Skull. I didn't want to be obvious. Um, what a way to kill a legend. I mean, I've never seen so much hatred towards uh, whatever you want to call that piece of filth. I mean, it's like it, it. what it did for me for the franchise is it really lowered it. It's kind of like when you take a perfect franchise that was the original Star Wars and you add the awful prequels to it. It's just It just damages it, in my opinion. Whereas Back to the Future sticks to its universe Indiana Jones lost sight of where it needed to go. I mean, bringing UFOs and awful CG and trying to do this passing of the torch story. It just it just didn't work. I think, again, when you when you have something that's perfect and, and great, like the Indiana Jones trilogy was, you should just leave it alone, leave it in its lore rather than prostitute it through unnecessary sequels. Okay, yes, you may say that people were divided on back to the future three because it was a Western, but I mean, I don't really know where you're going with this whole confusing storyline. Yeah. There were some liberties taken with some of the logic. Liberties. They, oh. Why? Gentlemen, gentlemen, one time machine that comes back. There's, I'm sure you can find a way to explain it. I remember when this game, the, when back to the future, when 2 the game came out, came out. Yep. The movie. Thank you, Mr. Sarcastic. Um, it was met with divisiveness okay first of all people were said it was too confusing i don't i've never since i was a kid gotten that argument i thought it was perfectly taught up i recently watched recently watched the trilogy again it makes sense from a logical standpoint yeah there might be a loose end here too but not the 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 moppy here or that, two that, 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 there there's no there's no cohesive universe to indiana jones i mean it, it just seems like it's a bunch of set pieces all right wrap time, it up time errors around the 1930s but really it just it at least hill valley is it's it's kind of like the walking dead or, or something like that five it's seconds universe it's very tight that's what makes it better you're you're trying to you know use the walking dead as your crutch that's probably wow. not the best tactic right now considering what's going on in the series all right rob counterpoint show on tv but, right now yeah just because it's the best in numbers doesn't mean it's the best out there i mean they have to kill people off to keep people to watching but that's another argument for another time <laughs> you, you, you know mike i gotta tell you we're talking trilogies here and you spent a good i don't know six or seven minutes there talking about the fourth movie we're talking trilogies man we're talking one two and three one two and three now, right. it, it, but if that's okay. Round two, we'll talk about the Die Hard movies if you want. No problem. We'll talk Die Hard 4 and 5, even if you want to talk Aliens 4. That's stay okay. A, stay on task. Back to the future. I'm, I'm, it, it all comes down to that that it's a comedy thing that is, 
is, is short lived and only really re- uh, has a good reminiscing feel and nostalgia for people in North America. Indie transcends the entire globe. It's still, even with Crystal Skull, one of the franchises that people want to come back to. It is essentially James Bond in the adventure action genre. And no matter what the decade that it takes place in, whether it's the 30s, 40s, or 50s, people love a good treasure story. It would be a great kind of premise for an indie filmmaker to tackle with somebody going in search of something, maybe with other family members. Who ever wanted to re- revisit that universe? Ever since K- Crystal Skull, which was that one attempt, nobody cares anymore. We what had do you mean nobody back- cares anymore. This is my no. final point. What, what everybody cares. Every Everybody's Gentlemen, dying for Indy 5. That's all that matters. Nobody wants to revisit Back to the Future because they know time travel is the worst kind of thing to write out of. Gentlemen, that's demerits for both of you. Dear Lord. Thank you. All right. So you've both said what you had to say we're gonna move on to round two aliens versus Die Hard. mike the greek let's keep it condensed to two minutes and go okay. fine Die Hard moves forward aliens moves backwards okay i who needs prequels who needs prometheus uh the Die Hard story just keeps moving forward and it just it has focus okay and and it has a good central character who we can cling to rip is ripley dead no is does she has she come back is she is she dead who's dead who's alive who's coming back the the aliens universe is just a constant respawn of like all these characters that should have just stayed dead whereas at least in Die Hard we have a, a, a progression through the story the storyline and the years which culminates of course with the passing of the torch in live free or die hard all right and rob take it away i can't believe you would make that argument against indiana jones for why are they exploiting the franchise and how newer installments wreck what was good and then go on to say that about die hard every film that die hard has done since the first one has only lowered the quality of that storyline there is no progression in die hard it's just boring flat out you know how many different set pieces can we throw at john mcclain for him to survive against this is the only franchise i can think of that has strayed the furthest away from what made the film good mike not too long ago you were on here saying that die hard one was about a guy stuck in a, in a single contained place up against insurmountable odds and from the second film and the third and the fourth and the fifth They've gone out of their way to get away from that and in in exponential ways. This couldn't be further from what made the first film great. John McClane, if he progresses, he's progressing in a grave. All all he's doing is is turning, and he has no business being on the screen anymore. And the most recent one, I don't even remember the name of it. It's A Good Day to Die Hard. (laughs) Well, it was A Good Day to Die Hard about 20 years ago, like when that franchise should have ended. Now, Aliens, you want to talk about Ridley Scott making a masterpiece in the first one, an alien. Then you got James Cameron taking over in Aliens. Phenomenal. Then David Fincher doing Alien 3. Like, you can't get a better group of directors together to do it. Yeah, Alien 3 is definitely not the strongest of the three. But when you're up against Ridley Scott and James Cameron, that's not exactly surprising at all either. All right. Mike the Greek, counterpoint. 
how can you talk about a lack of progression? I mean, John McClane, we see, okay, yeah, you may be talking about set pieces and different villains and maybe an expansion of the world, but at the heart of these stories is there, there's a, tr- a, a true through line of his relationship to his wife and to his kids, which slowly degrades over the course of the films. As he's becoming the bigger action hero, you see a converged downward spiral of his, of his narrative, which really culminates when he's just this man who's alone who has to reunite with his son for fifth sequel. I see a lot more path those there than I could ever see in Alien where I think the closest we ever got to a family story was really uh, in Aliens uh, but even that it just it didn't last there was no nothing really connecting a lot of these characters throughout the different worlds it just felt cold and it felt scientific like the subject matter but there was no real sense of family as there is in Die Hard and I think that's what really makes the makes the series better in the sense that it resonates with audiences on that human level and Rob final comment for round two the fact that you put an argument forward, like because Die Hard is family friendly material, I makes didn't say it a better. Friendly. Well, I no, you're it saying it's family. The family. It, there's a fa- a familial the theme through it that audiences can can connect with more. You're, you're you're saying that Die Hard touches on the family more, and that's what makes it better. Is absolutely ludicrous. If you had seen this recent one, you would see how quickly they abandoned anything to do with family, and how they desperately try to tack on anything to do with it with like chewing gum at the most awkward places. They're even stretching for that in this one man and there is no progression with John McClane because he's still estranged from every family member there is no arc there is no progression whatsoever you want to talk about a family bond we'll flip it around and see what the aliens are actually going through in Alien and whatnot. there's a whole family unit and what it's like to be threatened by outsiders you're talking to the mother queen and all the drones that's the closest you get to family and technology is the one that's that's intercepting it and, uh, and negating it. I mean, I could throw $10 words out there too if you want to talk about culmination and narratives. But the fact is, Alien is actually a much more uh, relatable experience to the audience, Mike, because everybody knows what it's like to be isolated in a scared and dark place with the unknown surrounding them and nobody they can trust. Mike, don't forget, in space, no one can hear you scream. All right. Moving that was on. A $2 answer to a $10 word. But anyway. All right. We are moving on to round three. At least three. I'm not a 25 cent person. Oh, Jesus. All right, moving on to round three. We're talking Spider-Man versus Christopher Nolan's Batman. So, Mike the Greek, kick it off. I think what's what makes the the Raimi Spider-Man trilogy Thomas was that it just got it right. I mean, oh, right you, off you, whoa, whoa, whoa. Go, I, thought, I thought you were you were set up to argue Batman. You're changing now on me. All right, sure, we can flip. I don't care. It's up to you. Well, I was gonna. I was actually just gonna say, if you're doing Spider-Man, I feel sorry for you. You feel sorry for me. I'm gonna. I'm gonna prove you wrong. All right. So, let's so I got Batman now. You got Spider Man. You, you comfortable with that? That's fine. <laughs> All right. Fine. All right. So going this back just goes to, to show, ladies and gentlemen, this is not rigged. This is how we do. This is how we do. <laughs> Two it, minutes right? on the and, clock. And it's just go. Spontaneous and anything can happen. Here's what happened. All right. They got it right. Okay. Batman Forever has been struggling to find that merging of the comic book and the movie. There's been different looks, different attempts. Some worked, some didn't. And you're talking Spider Man, right? Raimi's Spider Man. Okay. He got it. That Marvel look. Peter Parker could not have been better casted. I still, I refuse to, I have not seen The Amazing Spider-Man because I refuse to see another Peter Parker. Tobey Maguire got it. And Willem Dafoe was such a great intro as, as the Green Goblin. And really, the series retained its tone over the three sequels. They didn't feel too disparate from each other. And the funny thing is, is that everybody like trashes Spider-Man 3. 
I thought that was one of the deepest. We got to see Peter's id, you know, like we got to see the other Peter. And I thought that was a great acting exercise for Tobey Maguire. And, I, and I, overall, it did really well at the box office. And again, it, you're people are very divided in terms of which one's better and most people tend to think that Raimi's portrayal of Spider-Man really is the definitive one what a great way to intro a character in the movies without the first time around and Rob Batman I don't even know what to say because I'm just shaking my head I mean we could spend it all just trashing Spider-Man 3 Uh, I guess the whole flaw with the argument is Sam Raimi himself. I mean, talk about a filmmaker who didn't need to inject his own style and just let the material take its take its course. Uh, I mean, I'll give you this, Mike. Spider-Man movies are fun until Sam Raimi has to do all these crash zooms and all these deadite kind of evil deadlight cutting and, and camera moves. And the design of the Green Goblin is fucking horrible. Mary Jane is a throwaway character. I don't know any guy that really fell in love with her other than Peter Parker on the screen. And you want to talk about recasting him? Maybe you should watch The Amazing Spider-Man because I thought Andrew Garfield was a much better Peter Parker, a much better you know, quirky teen as an outsider than uh, Tobey Maguire ever could be. Now, mind you, Tobey Maguire had to play a high school kid and a college kid in the same movie. We'll, we'll leave that story point alone just for now. Let's talk about Nolan's Batman. Talk about going back to the source material and setting in a realistic way and launching it from a point where the audience completely understands where Batman is coming from from the first movie where we see Bruce Wayne's id and we see where he's coming from and what he's up against. And in that universe that is just unstoppable and the odds are stacked against him from moment one and nobody gives him a chance until he throws everything away. He's starting literally at the bottom of the barrel and Batman begins and... You know, I'll just stop at Batman Begins because that movie's probably better than any of the Spider-Man movies, let alone getting into The Dark Knight with Heath Ledger's Joker. Go ahead, Mike. All right, Mike. Let alone? Are you actually going to end your argument with the... with with, with the? What, were you talking about The Dark Knight with Heath Ledger or were you referring to the most recent The Dark Knight Rises? I just want to clarify here. I said I don't even have to go beyond Batman Begins to, to okay, battle your, your, your colorful because trilogy. Because Dark Knight Rises, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it. It was a travesty. It was boring, okay? It was a mess of money where they just let the director go out of control, and that's what happened with the new Batman trilogy. Yes, I will agree with you. Batman Begins was a great start, great reboot, and here's what happened. Christopher Nolan's ego got out of control, and so did the budget, and that's why we end up with the hackneyed mess that The Dark Knight Rises is. There's no story there. I actually was rooting for Bane by the end of it. I hated Bruce Wayne and Batman by the end of that movie. It's just, they took a great idea, and Christopher Nolan just hammered it into the ground. At least Raimi had paid respect to the material, and I don't have no idea what you're talking about by, like, evil dead cuts and wipes. I mean, it's everything's derivative from something. I mean, you can't just credit the, that editing technique to one single movie. What was great about Spider-Man is that it didn't feel like Evil Dead. It didn't feel like Army of Darkness at all. It felt like a Marvel comic book movie. It got it right. It felt like exactly what I was expecting to see from a Spider-Man film. And honestly, I've told people that from an auteur perspective, it does not feel like a Raimi film. Oh, my all. God. I even... All right, and Rob, final point for round three. You know what? Let's just take this discussion where it really needs to go. And you know what? We could both say the first entry in both trilogies is pretty solid, maybe even a trade-off. I'm going to say that Dark Knight is better than Spider-Man 2, and it's going to be hard-pressed to kind of 
kind of top that argument, even if we said it was equal. Yeah. Dark Knight Rises versus Spider-Man 3. You want to talk about a director who's got an ego and gets out of, over and out of control? Look no further than your own Sam Raimi. They He refused to work with screenwriters on, on Spider-Man 3. And that's why you have not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, but not six, but seven different storylines in that mess of a film. That's the textbook case why you don't need more than one villain. You've got three villains on the go in Spider-Man 3, and it's super confusing whatsoever. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say if it was clear-cut no from the get-go, then it would have been fine. But it's not clear-cut because he's trying to do the fans' lip service by putting Venom in there. Talk about introducing a cool character like the Sandman, who, who they do lots of good stuff to try to get you on his side by showing the daughter, not having enough money to back him up and stuff, and then Talk throwing about- him away for the last half about- of the film. Oh. Okay. Completely thrown away, and he's not even resolved whatsoever. Not even resolved whatsoever. So let's go back to Dark Knight Rises. At least there's a A, B, and C act in it. Sure, there's a little bit bumpy parts, but we're not getting confused with who the <laughs> villain is, what the problems are, and who Batman's against. Yes, Bruce Wayne and Batman are all dealing with internal struggles, and that's probably the worst part of the film. But at the end of the day, the goals are clear from moment one. Once Batman decides that he's got to get together, he knows he has to stop Bane. It's just a matter of how he chooses to deal with that. Not i got to stop this villain, that villain, this villain, and these four other personal problems going on in my life. All right, gentlemen, you both make very compelling arguments. And now it's time where I have to sit back... And decipher all this information and come to my ultimate conclusion on what is the best Can, can I interject for one second? Is there no demerits for him cutting me off, going back and forth while I'm talking to my last point there? No, I figured you were just going to edit that out. No, no, that's going to be in no, there. No, that's going to be in there? Yeah. Okay. Well, then I'm going to issue a demerit. All right. One demerit issue to Mike <laughs> the Greek. All right. For all the times you cut me off, I'll, I'll accept it. That's all right. It's just, that's what it is. All right. Here we go, gentlemen. We're going to do this round by round. So, round one. Indy versus Back to the Future. Well, both movies generated sequels that didn't need to exist. Back to the Future 3, I'm sorry, was a travesty. Should have never existed. Back to the Future 2, yeah, you can almost say the same thing about that, but there were some interesting things. I'm kind of partial to the hoverboard, I'll be quite honest. Whereas Indiana Jones, yeah, Crystal Skull didn't need to be made. Bad idea should have been left on the pages of some script somewhere buried in a warehouse. However, the first three Indiana Jones movies, extremely good. I quite enjoyed all three of them. So, for this round, I'm going to have to go and side with Indiana Jones. So you're going round by round? You're not just eliminating from the bottom and going to the back? Yeah, I'm just going to go round by round. All right, round by round. All right, Indy wins round one. So, Indy wins round one. I love Back to the Future movies, don't get me wrong. But if I had to choose, if it was my dying day and it said, which one of these two trilogies do you want to watch? I would have to pick Indiana Jones just because I enjoyed all three of the first trilogy movies. Now, round two, Aliens vs. Die Hard. Eh, this is a tough one, okay? You've got very good alien movies with very good directors, strong casts. Then you've got Die Hard, which I do agree has kind of trailed off a little bit now kudos to mike for trying to defend Die Hard. i mean uh, now i don't now, envy anybody with that task <laughs> you know now that the debate's over i really don't <laughs> envy anybody with that task i figured it after after leading off my marvel movie debate with howard the duck i think anything's possible at that point <laughs> Fair there enough. you go all, all right. right so we got diehard movies now 
if we take into account just the first three movies, you got Die Hard one, excellent movie, of course. Yeah. You got Die Hard two. All right, they're you know they're they're doing the best they can. All right. Now you got Die Hard three, which it, it is not that great of a movie, but. It does have Samuel L. Jackson, and he does play a very angry black man. And so, Jeremy Irons is all right. Yeah, I, I got to give points to that. Now, we look at Alien. Okay, the first one is good. Alien 2, I actually think, is better than Alien. Um, but Alien 3? Agreed. I, I think I fell asleep during that. So this is a very tough call to make, because 1 and 2 were both good. Um, you know, it's tough. But I'm going to have to say that... Alien 1... I'm going to cut the third movies out of both of these. I think we should start off with these two. (laughs) In in order to make sense for this, all right, I got to say that, you know, both movies had a very good part one and part two, but Aliens did have a better one and two than Die Hard 1 and 2, which is hard. Now, if I could go outside the trilogy, I was actually a huge fan of Die Hard 4, believe it or not. Oh, you just like Kevin Smith in it. I well, I like the I like the story as a whole. I, I, oh yeah, it's, yeah, whatever. Kevin but, Smith had a pretty entertaining cameo as well. Pretty I, entertaining waste of time, just okay, like in all right. Daredevil. All right, we're moving on. All right, so so far, Indiana Jones and Aliens has taken this. Now, Spider Man versus Nolan's Batman. Mike, I'm sorry. This just isn't going to happen. <laughs> this just isn't I don't even your know, day. I don't even, I don't even know if I could. I don't even know if I could fairly. Uh, I can't even justify it. Okay, the first one was good. I'll give you that. the The upside down kiss that was hot. Okay, it's pouring rain. Upside down that was hot. I'll, I'll give you that. Like if I like if that was me in that movie. Yeah, Spider Man one, good movie. Um, the CG. I mean, w- for the time when that movie came out. Bad, it's so on. All right, all right. Let's 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 take that out of the. Let's just say Spider-Man One, great movie. Oh, it is good. I could have gone without Spider-Man Two and Three. Actually, I think Spider-Man Two is stronger. I think it's really? the strongest of yeah, the three. Yeah, I think you guys are being way too hard on Spider-Man Two right now. That was no, no, no. Spider-Man like... Two is the strongest of the three. Spider-Man Three is horrible though. Spider-Man Three is bad. The, the, my favorite part of that movie though had to be where you know he does the freaking dance inside of. Oh the... my God, emo oh, Peter me... Parker. Okay, like, you're talking about like number twos. Like Temple of Doom is like the weakest. Indie. I mean, honestly, oh, I watched it, it again. Is. It's so cheesy. It is. There's no it's arguments, so man. The element of like, the edginess. Honestly, I would, as a number two, I would take. <laughs> I don't really. Fair enough. No, fair enough. Temple is horrible. As, as, it's it's my least favorite. I might even like parts of Crystal Skull over Temple of Doom. Yeah, absolutely. Now we take we look at Christopher Nolan's Batman. All right, the Batman Begins is a movie I could watch. This, this over follows and over like again. the same pattern as Alien. The it, Alien it does. Saga. It does. You know. You've got one and two, and two is really even better than one, but one is fantastic. Yeah. One gives you the Batman story. I actually like you Batman never got Begins before. better than The Dark Knight, but yeah. I can appreciate The Dark Knight more. Yeah, you know, it's like that movie. It was you, a bull. It was a it was a very bold movie. What The Dark Knight was again. Yeah. My problem with it was it was too long. But it was they were too trying long. to do a lot. Yeah. And you know, it was too miss. long. It, it was. It was, you know, the... They could have kept Two-Face for number three. That insta- was, insta- yeah, insta- and that was my point when it, I cut you off at that point. I'm like, seriously, if you want to talk about killing off a character too soon, I felt like, wow, we just got introduced to Two-Face, and all of a sudden, boom, half an hour later, he's dead. That's, again, it was yeah, the Darth Maul agreed. syndrome. Well, from what I understand, I mean, wasn't the Joker supposed to carry over into three, and that just never happened? Well, they, died, ne- they never had but... the script written. I mean, he was supposed to be caught like he is in The Dark Knight, and sure. they didn't have the script written because 
you know, Nolan for the longest time didn't decide on doing a trilogy yeah. until he had a story that would work. Uh, but obviously, Heath died before you know they were done cutting. Yeah, you know the that's what really threw everything in the mix. It's just I yeah. think it was just a lot of reactionary ed- uh, writing, editing. Like I mean, I don't think they, I think they were scrambling to get a movie made at that point. And well, and they, I mean, you got to feel bad for Chris Nolan. I mean, even Absolutely. Sam Raimi. I mean, how do you those guys got to top the second entry, which is arguably the best in each of the cases? Yep. And how do you do that? That's that's a really hard thing to do. It so, is absolutely. It's a, that's the thing. It's unfortunately you have to go into Spider-Man Three territory where you do mess with too many convoluted storylines. Same with Back to the Future Two. It's such a. I mean, the first Back to the Future, like again, we didn't study that in film theory. Like there was there was a reason we studied it. It's a perfect film, and like, like, and 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 I think they. I guess at the time they thought that maybe they could just throw more money at it and throw more storylines, and that would make it more interesting than the first one. Again, I mean, I watched it again. I still don't really understand why people think it's confusing i I think it ties up together very well but yeah i can see why the average viewer would be like okay i'm getting lost here and just trying to figure out the logic rather than enjoying the experience yeah all right so so we've got indiana jones aliens and christopher nolan's batman so apparently i'm the winner Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Hey, it was my own fault because I was I let you pick Batman. You, you should you whatever you stayed with Batman Falls into yeah. the wind and I defended Spider-Man so it was my it was my own All right, so now I have to decide rate. which stands as the best trilogy out of those 3 and this is a very hard choice. Yeah. Um but you know what? They've each got the late entrant in each of these franchises is yeah. by far the worst. We didn't even talk about Alien resurrection yeah no 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 you know what though i think i'm ready to make my decision Uh and as much as as much as i want to go with batman as much as i want to go with it i have to give this award to indiana jones boom i have i have to do it you know what it's even though it's an it's 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 well for indie filmmakers who want to do action adventure films I may have been hard on Temple of like Doom there, but honestly... No, dude, was, I, I agree I with you 100%. 100%. That campfire scene is brutal. Yeah. Yeah, I it, mean, all, all these films, they have their own again, flaws to them, but... I mean, I would take Temple of Doom over Die Hard 2. That's for sure. For damn sure. Any, any uh, Randy I don't know, man. There, there's just so much in Temple of Doom, like the life raft out of the plane... The fact that it's Indy doesn't shoot but, the, the blonde. I mean, she was just miscast. It was just yeah. that was mostly the grading thing. And the idea of putting a child sidekick, it didn't work in the Mummy Returns. It definitely didn't work in Temple of Doom. Uh, it, it's we, just, well, again, the, that, the thing that a lot of people don't know about Temple is that it actually takes place before Raiders. Huh? Did yeah. not know that. Yeah, in yeah. the timeline because Raiders takes place in thirty nine or two, whereas. Yeah, yeah and, the, like, and Temple takes place in 38. Right, right. Well, we have a winner. Indiana Jones takes it. No, the winner is Rob. Three rounds. <laughs> Woo! Three rounds. The endurance. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, we'd you like to... Nail with a good, with a good topic. You, you'll see. Uh-huh. Better luck next time, my friend. Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to thank you very much for joining us on the latest edition of The Great Debate. I'd like to congratulate our winner, Rob, and I'd like to thank our always important guest, North of the Border, Mike the Greek, for joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you, and good night. Warning, The Great Debate is not recommended for people to try at home.
many injuries may happen, and of course, you should never discuss Star Wars, the original trilogy, and talk the best trilogies of all. <laughs> <laughs>